Is your money working as hard as it could be for your future? A decade ago, Robinhood changed the investment landscape when they pioneered commission-free stock trading. Today, they continue to offer innovative products to help users build a better financial future, like IRAs, ETFs, options for qualified traders, and much more. Take control of your financial future with Robinhood. Download the app or visit Robinhood.com to learn more. That's Robinhood.com. Disclosures. Investing involves risk. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIP. PC is a registered broker dealer. Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I'm Neil Fryman. And I'm Toby Howell. On today's pod, we will preview the jobs report due out later this morning and ask the very important question who left a bag of cocaine at the White House? Then we'll pick up our sewing needles to check in on Meta's super successful rollout of its new app threads before telling you about a new must see attraction in Las Vegas that proves strip malls are out and strip balls are in. It's Friday, July 7th, let's ride. All right, Toby, it is Friday on a very strange week, but we still have to ask the question per our tradition, fast week or slow week? So you might be thinking, since it was only a three-day week because of the holiday break, I'm gonna say it was a fast week, but I've normalized for that three-day week, and I think it was a slow week. It was. It was a slow week per capita. Exactly. Thank you. We we have it on a a per capita basis because, and this is my theory, four-day weeks are a nice little treat because, hey, it's just one day, but three-day weeks, you've had a... You've had too long of a break. And so then it feels like a slog again. It was super weird. Uh, we need Congress to step in and, <laughs> and make July 4th and ban July 4th from happening on a Tuesday again. Uh, next year, I looked. We're in luck uh, because it's on a Thursday. So that is a whole week off, baby. <laughs> whole week. I was thinking at least a four day weekend, yeah. clearly for that. But uh, we did put out shows on Monday and Tuesday. Even if we weren't live, we interviewed um Morning Brew's co-founder, Alex Lieberman, and Morning Brew's funniest person alive, Dan Toomey. So you can definitely go check those out. Those are evergreen. They're not related to the news. Yeah. They were, uh, they were, they were an absolute treat. It, it, was, it was a good episode. So uh, yeah, go back and listen or watch those if you haven't yet. But Neil, let's jump into our top story of the day where Meta's new social media app, Threads, is off to one heck of a start. So Zuck posted yesterday that the app that closely resembles Twitter has already landed 30 million users, even though it doesn't really have a ton of features yet. So a big part of that number comes from the fact that everyone's Threads account is also linked to their Instagram account. So you sign up, you just have to log into your Instagram profile. In terms of user interface, Threads definitely resembles Twitter in the sense that you can post short blurbs of text along with some images and GIFs. And you can also like, comment, repost other people's threads. But by far the biggest omission right now is that you cannot DM other users. Plus, people's feeds are filled with mostly celebrities and big verified accounts because as of right now, you can't change your timeline to show just the people you follow. So I'd actually kind of describe it as a TikTok for text right now. Mm -hmm. So Neil, this is clearly a bare bones entry into the market, but that 30 million number, a number that I've also seen might be as high as 50 million by the time we're recording this, shows the unfair advantage that Meta has whenever they launch something. Is it unfair if they already built a huge social media app? 
Hey, just because I don't know if I would call it unfair. It's they're leveraging what they have right. to create a new app. But it is kind of fun to watch a new app being built in real time and the sort of the blank canvas or the possibilities are endless kind of vibe because we haven't seen a new consumer app come along in a while since or social media app, at least since TikTok. Right. And, you know, that's become massive. And that, you know, kind of blew up with Old Town Road in 2019. <laughs> uh, those are the early days now. So it's fun to just be an observer uh, and watch a new digital community develop. And no one really knows what's going to happen with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to actually take us through the timeline of that launch a little bit. So two hours after the app went live, Zuck posted that more than two million people had already downloaded the app. And everyone's like, whoa, that was cool. And then two hours later, he, he uh, threaded that he, it was up to five million. And then by Wednesday night, it soared to 10 million. And then yesterday morning, it reached 30 million. And now people are saying 50 million. And just to put that into context, ChatGPT, which was the the biggest thing that hit the, hit the world in in years, was downloaded one million times within its first five days. Mm. So, Threads is off to five, Threads is going to be the biggest consumer the app launch that. in history. I think. Yeah. ChatGPT hit a hundred million active users in two months, mm -hmm. and and uh, Threads hit that in. It could be tomorrow, two days. honestly. Yeah, like I, I totally could see it reaching that hundred million. Figure. So, what's the vibe on Threads? Like, you've been spending a lot of time on it. I've been spending a little time on it. Like, what are you feeling? Is it like Twitter? Is it not going to be like Twitter? Yeah. So. I actually am going to zoom in on the no DMs thing because a lot of people are like, how can you launch an app like this without DMs? But I honestly feel like it makes people on the app feel more kinship to each other because everything is going on in public in like the town square versus when there's DMs in an app, like you, mm -hmm. technically there's stuff going on behind the scenes. And so it does feel like everyone's participating in this collective moment, which it, again, it's got a ton of energy to it. It's very egalitarian. Although I say it's very egalitarian, but I kind of totally take that back because I mentioned the algorithmic feed. It's prioritizing like Shakira, these big accounts. Morning Brew is getting a little prioritization. Yeah. So we like that. And it's very TikTok-y in the sense that you are scrolling through your feed. You're not seeing your friends. Right. You're seeing posts that the algorithm is feeding you. So, yeah. I'm, uh, the biggest drawback for me is uh, the no reverse chronological order right. uh, feed. So and on Twitter, that's why I love Twitter, was to watch breaking news happen. Mm -hmm. You know, like when Wagner guy was marching towards Moscow, everyone was posting and you could see updated feeds on what was happening. When Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars, <laughs> you know, that was like yeah. a collective moment that's on Twitter. So um, without that, I think it might be tough to replace Twitter's real-time breaking news uh, vibe, but... I don't know if this is going to be an exact replica of Twitter, right? Like, it's going to be a different thing entirely. So I don't know if I would say this is going to be uh, Twitter 2.0. It just might be threads. Right. And so it, it might not be worth, like, comparing the two. But we have to mention that Elon Musk uh, fired back. They, the Twitter threatened legal action against Meta yesterday uh, for essentially illegally poaching um, Twitter employees to build threads, to which Meta responded, we don't have any single former Twitter employees working on the engineering on threads. And meanwhile, Elon Musk, you fired 80% of them, so clearly you didn't find them valuable. Yeah. So uh, Being a sore loser, so, I think. So Musk is feeling yeah. the heat. We're going to watch what happens on threads. Yeah, yeah, give uh, me, give me, in like, do you think we'll this will be a major player yes, in a year, absolutely. five years? Absolutely, I just don't think we know what shape it'll 
be yet? Like, will it be kind of unhinged Twitter culture mm -hmm. driver or will it be sort of like a watered down Instagram with brands and influencers right. kind of leading the pack? I think maybe the TikTok for text is probably the most apt, uh, apt description to, yeah. for like what we might say. Which I think the market desires honestly and, and twitter has kind of shifted that direction as well but like mm -hmm. the things it's promoting are rubbing people a little bit the wrong way so if this is a little bit more of a wholesome more energetic version of that of that sort of algorithmic timeline yeah i'm i'm pretty bullish as i well. think yeah i think this is and definitely give us a follow follow us at morning brew please i've been i've been <laughs> yeah toby i don't know if anyone knows this but toby's day job after he records this podcast is running uh morning brew social media accounts so, yeah. so uh, go, he's like really clued in on threads go gas me up you can everyone. and you can follow us personally i think i have 55 followers there you That's go <laughs> all right uh let's move on from threads uh this week may have been short as we talked about but it's been packed with jobs drama that is causing havoc on wall street the TLD is that yesterday the ADP jobs report showed that private sector employers in the U.S. added about a half a million new jobs last month, which is more than double forecast. Side note, don't confuse the ADP jobs report with the government jobs report that comes out the first Friday of every month, so later this morning. This ADP report is a separate release that's not considered as reliable as the government's official report. Still, the fact that it showed hiring is booming so much more than expected sent stocks crashing yesterday because we are in this good news is bad news environment right now in the stock market. If the jobs market remains white hot, then it gives more ammo to the Fed to keep jacking up interest rates because a tight jobs market can keep inflation higher. Meanwhile, the government jobs report is due out this morning and it's expected to show the U.S. added another 240,000 jobs in June. Great news for the economy in the short term, but if things continue this way, then we could see even higher interest rates than we are now. Yeah. Make sense of this. First of all, me. no, that was a great breakdown, Neil. It's um, very it's it's very complicated. It, it is very complicated. And I think the big question here that people are asking and wondering is, is this kind of the last dying yes. surge of an economy that's on the verge of cooling off significantly? I've heard that before, though. Exactly. Or is this like is this hiring strength just going to continue right. forever? Like, is it up and to the right forever? Um, so it's just like a very, yeah, it's such a confusing time. I think the good news is bad news. I think the jobs market has, the, this, the government jobs report has exceeded Wall Street expectations for 14 straight months. Right. So that 240,000 number, like take that with a grain of salt. It could come in much higher. If the ADP report is anything, is any indicator, then it will be. Right. And then if... If you look elsewhere in the economy, there are signs of of cooling, like little uh, breadcrumbs that you can pick up. Consumer spending fell in May after it did have a great start to the year. And then imports to the U.S., which are usually an indicator of expected demand, mm -hmm. also fell in May. So... And there's like these rate hikes on the horizon for sure. So these are like the little sprinklings of what makes people nervous to go along with like these these supposedly strong yeah. numbers. I've been very geeked in on this uh, debate over whether the great resignation is over yeah. because according to some outlets and, and economists like at the New York Times, they declared that the great resignation is over because the quits rate is falling back to levels that were close to the pre-pandemic. It's still higher. And then you have other analysts that are like, well, it's still higher. 
higher. Right. So people are still voluntarily quitting their jobs. And that rate went higher in May after falling for a couple months. So you have this big debate brewing over like, well, there's the great resignation over, which we talked about on this podcast. We declared it over <laughs> a few weeks ago. And then you have a bunch of economists uh, on the other hand saying, uh-uh, we're not there yet. It hasn't come back down. People are still feeling a lot of flexibility in the jobs market. And the fact that the great resignation may not be over signals that uh, a hotter job market because you, when you feel like you could find another job with higher pay, then you feel a little mo bit more flexibility to, to say, I'm out of here. I think what it's showing, though, is the great resignation as a headline maybe isn't getting as many clicks as it once did. <laughs> so we're in a recession of clicks on that specific headline. But yeah, definitely a, a confusing... That is how the media sausage is made. That exactly. Is for sure. That's inside baseball right there. Um, all right, Neil, let's move on from the job market. Um, and this next story is honestly going to be very hard for me to do justice because it's something you kind of have to see to believe. But I will do my best. And I'm going to tell you all about the MSG Sphere, which is a new landmark attraction that just opened in Las Vegas. So, Neil, this is the largest spherical structure on Earth. And its 580,000 square foot exterior is completely covered by 1.2 million light up LEDs. So that allows it to transform itself into pretty much anything you can imagine. Already we've seen it turn into this high def version of the American flag, the, a giant, a few giant eyeballs, and my personal favorite, the moon. It's not just for show either. The inside houses 18,000 seats as well as another 16K wraparound LED screen. And the vision is for it to host things like concert, movies, and sporting events like MMA and boxing. The whole thing costs over $2 billion to build, Neil. And judging from some of these videos I've seen, I kind of think it's money well spent. This is awesome. It's so cool. Imagine if this was in any other city, though, <laughs> and not Pico? Vegas. Yeah. Uh, you'd be like, this is bizarre, but this is extremely cool. Yes, it costs $2.3 billion. It's more, it costs more than the Bellagio and Allegiant Stadium where the Raiders play. <laughs> this thing is a beast. Yeah. Um, but I think it's cool that it is not necessarily designed for sports right. specifically. So when you think of arena, you think of sports first. And I think musicians and entertainers don't love that because, you know, when Taylor Swift plays all of her concerts, it's at MetLife Stadium, it's at Lincoln Financial Field. These are football stadiums. Or when you play, Billy Joel plays at MSG. It's a first and foremost a basketball stadium. So it's not designed with the entertainer in mind. And this is actually foremost a music and entertainment venue for films and concerts and sports are second so you're probably not going to see a basketball game there but you will see some of the most epic concerts and I don't even know it's not it's even bigger than IMAX right, right? right. like I don't even know how big the screen is but no I can't even imagine the sort of like stipulation that you're going to get. Yeah, you're totally right. Actually, the uh, the Sphere's operations officer says, I used to love IMAX, but this will blow that away. So I know we're big IMAX guys here, but he's saying, yeah, this is a whole different experience. Plus, it, in terms of an experience, it truly is a full body experiment, experience. They have over 160,000 speakers inside, and they also have some 4D elements. Yeah. So like the seats can rumble. 
I don't know if you've ever been to Disney World on the boat. That's flight. the only thing that I remember doing that. I thought it was the coolest thing ever when right. you'd go into Disney World and have the, the seat rumble. Yeah, so this is this is going to be fun. And it, I, I cannot wait to see what else they put on the outside of it. And if, again, this is a very visual thing. So I implore all you guys to go on TikTok or watch this on YouTube right. and just watch how high def and how realistic the, the, they can make this sphere. So... It's It'll, cool. I'm 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 bullish. Actually, the final thing I, I do want to note is that the first concert series that will go on is from U2, uh, and I know I know that's our. I would I, love to go that. You would love to go, but I swear there's a generation of us who got that U2 album downloaded automatically on our iPhones, so we cannot yeah. escape U2 no matter where we go. Overlook so. that. It's they put on some of the best live concerts around, right. and they. I'm I'm telling you, when this thing opens September 29th in the Sphere and U2 is playing, it's going to be a religious experience. Let's do it. Let's go on a little field trip, Neil. All right. Before we jump into our next story, we're going to take a quick break. All right, Neil, it's time for our other Friday segment, Stock of the Week, Dog of the Week, where we bring you guys one stock that is thriving and one stock that is barely surviving. As always, hair and makeup runs our stock portfolio, so none of this should be construed as financial advice. We are just humble podcasters. Neil, I'm in the hot seat first this morning, which means I have our Stock of the Week, and boy, is this a confusing one. My Stock of the Week is Bed, Bath & Beyond. You mean the same company that has right outside our door says <laughs> going out of business, nine, everything 90% off. Exactly. I was going to say, but Toby, isn't Bed Bath & Beyond bankrupt? And to which I say, yes, it it is. But it's actually still being traded over the counter as kind of one of those pink sheet stocks like you've seen on Wolf of Wall Street yeah. probably. And if there's a way to trade, there's a will because over $200 million worth of this supposedly worthless stock has changed hands since it filed for bankruptcy. And just to be very clear, Bed Bath & Beyond is bankrupt. It reported debts of $5.2 billion compared to with total assets of just $4.4 billion. And shareholders would be the last in line to receive any payout from a sale of its business. So this stock is pretty much worthless. But that supposedly worthless stock was actually up nearly 5% this past week. It's very confusing. It's up 300% since it's delisting, I read. It's crazy. It's confusing. Uh, meme stalkers are going to meme stock. This is still kind of filtering this kind of phenomenon that started with GameStop in 2021. Yeah. It's still fil filtering through the economy. There's, you know, I guess retail investors think there's just a small outside chance that a miracle could happen. And you know what? A miracle did happen when it came to Hertz. Right. Because Hertz went bankrupt and a bunch of uh, small investors bought shares and pushed the uh, the share price from forty two cents up to six twenty five. And when Hertz was bought out of bankruptcy, they got $8 a share worth. Yeah. So they made a lot of money and they were absolutely mocked. They were, everyone made fun of them for doing the same thing that Bed Bath & Beyond did. And then somehow Hertz created this crazy deal at this auction that, like you said, usually the stockholders get paid out last and they get wiped out in bankruptcy. 
And for some reason, the Hertz shareholders got $8 a share worth, and they were like, look, it's it's possible. Miracles do happen. Right. This is totally something that is, yeah, fueled by the Reddit, by the like the Twitter ape investors. And so there is this theory that there's this holding company called Teddy that's going to step in and save it. Yeah. And Teddy has been filing a bunch of trademarks for various products like furniture and like mirrors. And people are looking at that and say, listen, they're they're gearing up for some big yeah. takeover of Bed Bath Beyond. So again, we maybe we all are dumb and maybe this is happening in the background but right now the fact that there's over 200 million dollars worth yeah. of, of uh, bed bath beyond stock being traded that's a crazy stock of the week i mean maybe uh there's still some value in the brand name because overstock.com which bought bed bath and beyond literally changed its name to bed bath and beyond online because they still see value in the brand right name brand's big so uh, like i said don't take our investment <laughs> yeah. advice um we're not we're not advising anything all right my dog of the week is ups uh its stock was actually up across the entire trading week but it's dipped in recent days over concern that this mass worker strike is getting dangerously close to actually happening. On Wednesday, both the Teamsters Union that represents UPS employees and the company got up from the negotiating table at 4 a.m. and accused each other of refusing to work toward a deal. Uh, to remind everyone of why this is a big story, UPS workers have voted to authorize a strike by the end of the month if the two sides can't figure out a new contract. And UPS has a ton of unionized workers, 340,000 to be precise. Uh, if they go on strike, it'll be the largest single employer strike in U.S. history. And it could cause all sorts of chaos for the economy with packages not getting shipped to their final destinations. Also, the timing could not be worse because next month is when the back to school shopping season begins for retailers. So everyone's freaking out a little bit. It's crazy. UPS delivered an average of 24.3 million packages a day last year. Where does all that go if they go on strike? Like it, it, it FedEx gets absorbed. Slack, yeah. USPS, but um, that's a lot of packages. Yeah, I mean, the last this happened in 1997, where they walked out. It was less than half of the workers that they have now, and that cost UPS 850 million dollars. You know, this is going to be another one of those things. Remember how the banking crisis kind of cooled off the economy for the Fed on mm. accident? I yeah. wonder if the UPS strike yeah. could do the same thing, where again the Fed might be able to kind of backdoor a, a cooling economy. So. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna file that one away. Yeah, everything's related. New. I haven't seen that. Yeah. All right, uh, let's move on from our stock of the week, dog of the week. Um, remember back in the day, Neil, when we did a story on FTX a few months ago, and it was leaked that of all the celebrities that signed those big endorsement deals with the now disgraced crypto firm, only Taylor Swift conducted proper due diligence and turned down her deal. Well, it turns out that wasn't exactly true. According to a new report from the New York Times, Taylor's team actually did sign a deal that was going to be as big as $100 million before a group of FTS execs actually talked former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried out of going through with it, leaving Taylor Swift and her team a little frustrated and disappointed. Neil, this is crazy because the rest of the New York Times report was a doozy and I I will get into that in a little bit, but I've been dreading talking about this story <laughs> because it's a narrative violation against our girl Taylor. I know. She was supposed to be the chosen one who resisted the sirens call. I am taking, I, I usually take things with, with, with a grain of salt and, and am skeptical to everything you hear that's a little too good to be true. And yeah. It's the narrative a little more, so... This definitely confirms that I'm just not believing anything I'm going to read, especially when it comes from 
a lawyer, you know, who's suing FTX. He's going on a podcast. He's going on a podcast. That's where the information was first reported. And I think (laughs) it was just a headline that was too good to be true. And it turned out to be good to be to be true. Yeah, we were definitely gassing. Uh, No no doubt that she's an amazing, you know, business person. But the fact that she's doing due diligence into whether these are registered tokens (laughs) or not. Yeah. You know, looking back in hindsight, you were like, well, (laughs) she's got a lot going on. Like, I don't know if she's going to take two hours of her day to to think about SEC regulations in terms of yeah. various crypto tokens. And I would argue you're a bad business person if you turn down a $100 million yeah, deal. Sure. $100 million is $100 million. Um, But I mentioned that's not all the report had to, to say. It also zoomed in on Tom Brady and his now ex-wife Giselle, who landed deals that we now know were worth $30 million and $18 million apiece. The kicker, though, was that they were pretty much entirely paid in FTX stock. So yeah. when the company imploded, their stakes went to essentially zero. And the even funnier kicker is that in ter- the terms of the deal m- most likely made them both pay taxes right. on that money, which is now worthless. So they're definitely coming out of this net negative. And it's just been a tough few months for Tom Brady and his crypto <laughs> enterprises in general. Yeah, I mean, uh, ha- this is not a gossip podcast, <laughs> but have you seen uh, the rumors about Tom Brady and Kim Kardashian oh. at Michael Rubin's white party? Oh, gosh. Yeah, apparently they were flirting and maybe even dating. Um both newly single. I would break the internet. Oh, I've never Lord. said anything like that, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I could see it. Two, two high-powered people. Um, yeah. Wow. I can't believe I just said that, but I get, apparently it's juicy to some people. Meanwhile, Taylor Swift's new album comes out today. Her third re-recorded album to gain control back of her masters. Speak Now, Taylor's version. The other two have been so wildly successful. What was it? Fearless came out and it sold three times as many album equivalent units as the original version. And then Red was even more popular, the re-recorded version. Uh, That's earned an album units number that's 10 times as big as the original Red. So this has been just an amazing uh, exercise in a brand for, for Taylor Swift to kind of take back her music from mm-hmm. from Scooter Braun, who she feels uh, as though uh, too controlling, too controlling over yeah. her. All right, our final story before the week is over. We really need to ask the question: Who left cocaine at the White House uh, on Wednesday? Officers on routine patrol found cocaine in an entrance area at the White House. Before you start a conspiracy theory about Hunter Biden, this part of the building is heavily trafficked by visitors, tourists, staff members, facilities, employees, and others. If you visit the West Wing, this is where you enter. That's where they found it. The Secret Service is investigating the coke, as it, and it expects to wrap up its probe on Monday. Uh, but they're saying they're unlikely to learn who left it there. Still, the story gives us an opportunity to talk about a history of drugs at the White House, and we are absolutely going to do that. So what's your favorite story? Okay, I think my favorite is the FDR one. Yes. Because, yeah, FDR apparently had, like, these chronic nasal swelling and nasal issues. And so his doctor would often apply this watered-down cocaine solution to his nasal cavity because what it does is it quickly shrinks and numbs nasal tissue. And so if you're feeling a little stuffed up, like, it helps relieve some of that uh, nasal fluid. And it's actually crazy because even today, cocaine is technically a controlled substance that doctors can legally use in situations like sinus surgery. So, and they probably never even told them it was cocaine either because that would maybe freak you out a little bit. But that is... 
like cocaine was often in the White House because FDR yeah, had kind of these chronic chronic health issues. Plus, there was a there's a meeting recorded between the doctor and FDR on December seventh, nineteen forty one. So it is possible. Roosevelt was coked out when declaring war on Japan. I wouldn't say coked out, but yes, maybe had cocaine in, in his system. That's portraying it a oh, little of course. too in, uh, incendiary uh, oh, of light. Oh, absolutely, but <laughs> yeah. we're, we're having fun here. It's a Friday. <laughs> what about you? Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of other ones. There was Willie Nelson smoked weed on the roof uh, <laughs> during Jimmy Carter's administration. He said he had a beer in one hand and a fat Austin torpedo in the other. Uh, I, he wrote, I let the weed cover me with a pleasing crowd. I guess the roof of the White House is the safest place to smoke dope. Uh, JFK is rumored to have smoked pot in the bedroom. And he also had this doctor, Feel Good, who administered amphetamines to him. What a name for a doctor, by the way. Yeah, doctor apparently that was a big thing. If we were if we were podcasting during the JFK administration, we would have been rumored out on, uh, on Dr. I've, Feel Good. I've been stuffy recently, too, which means I would have been nasal swad with oh, cocaine, God. too. Uh, and then the final one that's fun is uh, Snoop Dogg. This apparently is a- said he went to the bathroom, went number two. And then toked up in the White House bathroom. <laughs> That's what he said. I don't believe that for a second. No. Um, but yeah, that definitely fits in the Snoop Dogg lore. So I could see how yeah. he would be forwarding that narrative. He's a he's a brand guy. Um, that is our show. Uh, we'll hopefully get back in the flow of a normal week next week. Have a great weekend. If you want to reach us, our email address is morningbrewdaily at morningbrew.com. Huge shout out to our crew who puts this show together. Bryce Veloff is the editor and producer. Bryce, you going under 80 today? <laughs> uh, Samantha Velas and Raymond Liu are the associate producers. Yuchenna Waogu is our technical director. Billy Menino is on audio. Hair and makeup is toking it up on the White House roof with Willie Nelson. Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and our show is a production of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. I wish you all well. 